Today I'm going to be speaking on the holiness of God. And uh, sometimes as we preach, there's, you know, we might look at a topic, we might look at, at, at different things, we might have something that we plan in advance, but as we've been fasting, going through these three weeks, we started Sunday three weeks ago, finishing at lunchtime today, and my intention was to have a sermon around fasting. And as I was praying this week, God very, very clearly said, I want you to preach on my holiness. And it's something I thought we so often miss. We sing it, we sang about it this morning. And it's so easy for us just to flip it off. God's a holy God. But the message today I've called, How Holy Is Our God? And you notice there's not a question mark at the end of that. Because it's a statement. How holy is our God? We serve a holy God. We serve an awesome God. And I just want to read through a few scriptures for those taking notes. It's Isaiah 6, uh, verse 1 to 3. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord, and he was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces. With two they covered their feet. With two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Revelation 4.8 says, The four living creatures, each having six wings, were full of eyes all around and within. And they do not rest day or night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, who was and is and is to come. And Revelation 4, 9 to 11, I talked about this in praise and worship. Whenever the living creatures give honour and glory and thanks to him who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever, casting their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honour and power, for you created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. Everything exists for God's will. And I look at this, and even though that verse doesn't talk about uh, God being holy, you, just, you can see the holiness of God in there, that they're they're worshipping and their crowns just get thrown to the ground. It's like, this means absolutely nothing when I'm in the presence of God. What does being in the presence of God mean to you? Sometimes, and I've done it myself, our mind can be elsewhere when we're worshipping. We could sit down going, my legs are sore. I'm going to sit for a while. I'm not going to lift my hands because I was sanding a wall yesterday and my arms hurt. Whatever reason we have, sometimes we switch off. But as we worship, we're worshipping a holy God. We're in the presence of a holy God. What does that mean to you? And this message very much ties in with the one I preached a few weeks ago on the fear of the Lord. If you haven't heard it, you need to. We need to have more of an awareness of who God is. Because we so often live, it's all about me, it's what I want... It's about God has to be uh, the genie in the bottle, that he answers my prayers, he does what I need him to, and when I'm finished, I'll go back to doing what I do. And that's not the life God wants us to live. And I'm going to touch a little bit more on the fear of God later on. But he wants us to see him as holy. 
And the word holy or holiness is used 650 times at least in the Bible. It's not mentioned once, it's not mentioned twice, 650 times. Do you think God wants us to pay attention? Do you think God wants us to have a bit of an understanding of what holiness is? Now this isn't, God being holy isn't a reference to him uh, sitting in the clouds with babies or angels playing harps. That is not a holy God. And when I think of holy, growing up, this was the image that I would often think about. Being a good Catholic boy, growing up in the Catholic Church, you see these pictures of Jesus with a ring of light around his head. This picture does not inspire me to see a holy, awesome, powerful God. What comes to mind when you see something like this? Be honest. Who sees someone weak? Powerless. I've seen movies where uh, you know, the superheroes are doing all this incredible stuff and, there was, and I can't remember what movie it was, but they actually had a picture of Jesus dressed like this, walking through the crowd while these, all these things were going on. Evil was reigning supreme and Jesus walks through doing absolutely nothing, weak as anything else. And that's the image the enemy wants us to have of God. When we talk about holy, we talk about someone who's better than all of us, someone maybe to be admired, but I look at that and, and it does nothing for me because God is so much more than that. Holiness is so much more than that. God's, God's characteristics being love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, the Bible speaks about those. And yes, God has those. And we prefer to think about the God of compassion, love, grace, and mercy. We want the God who answers our prayers. We want the God who blesses us. We want the God who empowers us. We want the nice, loving, friendly God. But in addition to being nice, the Bible also speaks of his wrath and his judgment. But these are things we often go, ah, that's, that's a part of God I don't want to face. I just want, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. Think about Sodom and Gomorrah. God wiped him off the face of the earth, a whole city. The flood, he destroyed the earth. The 10 plagues on Egypt. God brought all these plagues and just literally devastated the land, killing their firstborn son. And what a lot of people don't realize is this, this fight was between two gods. It was God, our father, and God, Pharaoh, because the Egyptians saw him as God. And this was a battle of the gods. God was proving himself strong in this. How about Moses not being allowed to enter the promised land? Some of the others we can understand, but like, seriously, God, that was a bit unfair. Yeah, sometimes we look at things and say, God, I don't understand why you do things, and I think you're unfair. But what do we say? Okay, God, you see more than I see. And a holy God is far more powerful than I will ever comprehend. So when God demands us to see him as holy, and he does demand us to even live 
holy. And he says in Peter, be holy because I am holy. Now that's not a suggestion. It's not a request. It's an order that God has given us. Be holy. And so we need to understand what a holy life looks like. And part of the problem is, like I said, we so often focus on the nice things of God. And if we only focus on the nice things of God, and we never look at the wrath, we never look at the things that upset God, we'll start having a picture like this, of a God who's just, eh, somewhere else. But God is so much more than that. And this is the picture that the enemy wants us to have of God. The Bible talks about a powerful, awesome, holy God. And it very clearly tells us the devil has no authority. But the devil wants us to think, big God, uh, sorry, big devil, little God, all-powerful devil, nothing you can do when you're sick. Oh, heaven help me, what am I going to do? I'm going to die. He wants us to see him as powerful and God as unable. And if that's the image you have, I would suggest that you're not reading your Bible enough. How's that sound? You might say, well, that's, I, I do read my Bible. But are we reading enough that we get this picture of who God is? Or are we spending more time on social media and TV and talking about all our problems that we actually build the problems bigger than God? Whatever we pay attention to is going to grow in our mind. If we focus on sickness and disease, that becomes our focus. If we focus on God as our healer, he becomes our focus. Now picture this. Person A hears over and over again how much of a failure he is. He replays that story in his mind over and over and over and starts to say, I'm a failure. I can't do anything right. I upset every, every person every time I open my mouth. Everyone says I'm useless, so I must be. What do they see that I can't? I wish I could do something right just for once. Person B hears people talk over and over and over. And he chooses to believe something different. He says, I'm not a failure. Failure is an event, not a person. So I will never give up. God has a plan for me. He plans to prosper me and not to harm me. He plans to give me a hope and a future. I am a success in him because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. In him I live and move and have my being. I am a success in Christ. Who do you think is going to have the better outcome in life? Person A or person B? Person B. Not only is he focusing on the positive, that was all scripture. So the word of God has been put into him enough that he goes, I don't care what the world says, I don't care what the devil says, I don't care what my family says, I don't care what the media says, God's word says. And that's how he chooses to live his life. And as we live our life based on the power of the word of God, we're going to start seeing things happen in here. We have to see God as a holy God and everything about him as more important than anything else in the world. Satan experienced firsthand the power of an awesome God. Like I said, he wants us to think that he's all-powerful, you know, he's got no authority, zero, zip, nothing, nada. He has nothing to offer except 
the words you speak. If he can get you thinking it and he can get you speaking it, he can get you creating it. Because we are made in God's image and likeness. How did God create the world? By speaking. You speak, you create. And if he can get you thinking the things that he wants you to think, he'll get you speaking that. But he saw the power of God in action. The Bible talks about him as Lucifer once. His name is mentioned once in the Bible as Lucifer. And that name means light bearer. Every other time he's referred to as Satan, the accuser. And you see on TV, you see matches, all sorts of things. The name Lucifer is always symbolic with the devil. But Lucifer, he actually had a function in heaven. He was in the presence of God. He worshipped God. He saw God getting all this glory. And he was an amazing creation. Ezekiel 28, 13 says, You were in Eden, the garden of God. Every precious stone was your covering. The sardius, the topaz, the diamond, beryl, onyx and jasper. Sapphire, turquoise and emerald with gold. The workmanship of your timbrels and pipes was prepared for you on the day you were created. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. You were the holy mountain of God. You walked back and forth in the midst of the fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day we created until iniquity was found in you. He was so close to God. He saw God and he made one mistake of thinking that what he sees is all there is. And Isaiah 14, 13 and 14 says, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of congregation on the farther sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds and I will be like the most high God. You can almost hear this evil laugh happening in the background. An important part of war is knowing whether you can defeat your opponent. Some people go into a fight thinking, yeah, I can take this guy on. And the devil did that. He's going, all I ever see God is sitting there getting worshipped, la-di-da, his life's really easy, I want that for myself. And so he thinks, yeah, I can take him on. He sees the loving, gracious, and compassionate and merciful side of God. But he never observed the wrath of God, because it wasn't necessary in heaven until then. And he gathers a third of heaven's angels, approaches God with intent of ousting him and taking his place. But Jesus says in Luke 10, 18, I saw Satan fall from heaven like lightning. That kind of paints a different picture, doesn't it? The devil goes, I'm going to take on God. I'm going to beat him. I'm going to wipe him out. I'm going to do this. And yet Jesus just says, God just gone. There is a, a side of God that is so holy that we cannot underestimate who he is. James 2.19 says, You believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe and they tremble. Now look at the first part of this verse. You believe there is how many gods? One. One God, not two. So when the devil comes up and goes, I'm going to beat, uh-uh, one God. Even the demons believe there is one God. It's been proven to them and they tremble. So how does all this tie in with God being holy? 
Nadab and Abihu were, were two sons of Aaron. They were Moses' nephews, two of the four sons that, that Aaron had. And at the time, there were only six people able to come into the presence of God on the whole planet. Picture that, six people on the whole planet, only six were allowed to come into the presence of God. That's how awesome it was, how sacred it was. We can come in the presence of God anytime we like. We have the same privilege. And Leviticus 10, 1 and 2 says, Then Nadab and Abihu, sons of Aaron, each took his censer and put fire in it, put incense in it, and offered profane fire before the Lord, which he had not commanded them. So fire went out from the Lord and devoured them, and they died before the Lord. First there were six, now there's four. They came and tried to do something that God had not told them to do. They offered profane fire to God. The word profane means to treat what is sacred as common or to treat what is holy as ordinary. And I thought, how often do we come in the presence of God and treat his presence as ordinary? But God wants us to treat him as holy. And verse 3 says, Moses says to Aaron, this is what the Lord spoke, saying, by those who come near me, I must be regarded as holy. And before all the people, I must be glorified. You know, it wasn't a suggestion. I must be regarded as holy. So Aaron held his peace. And this is one of those times we would look and say, God, it's not fair. Why did you have to do that? Why didn't you just warn them? But God had commanded, I must be regarded as holy. He's not this religious creature that stands there like this. He is a holy God. He is a powerful God. Ananias and Sapphira were two in the New Testament, did the same thing. They see the, the honor that Barnabas got for bringing his gift and laying it at the disciples' feet. And they're saying, well, the, the honor he got, we want the same. So they sell their land and they bring some of the money but pretend it's everything. They're trying to say, we're giving God everything. We kept nothing. And they, they were allowed to keep some, but they chose to come into God's presence with a lie. And they lost their life for it. This was New Testament. We see it in the Old Testament. We see it in the New Testament. We serve a holy God who must be revered, who must be feared, who must be honoured. And if we look further down that, verse 11 says, so great fear came upon the church and all who heard these things. Now it's important in that that we understand what the fear of God is. It's not being petrified of God. We need to be aware of what he can do, but we want to be on God's side. And as children of God, we are on his side, not against him. Psalm 137, 17 and 18, David talks about uh, if he could count the thoughts of God, they would number more than the sand. How many beaches are there on the world? Thousands of beaches. But this isn't saying beaches, this is saying sand. Because there's sand in the ocean, there's sand on the golf course. And if you play golf like me, there's probably sand all over the golf course. <laughs> but if we take just Kingston Beach, Google Earth says it's about 930 metres long from Browns River to the wall near the, near the uh, yacht club. And it's about 30 metres wide. 
Now, scientists tell us that a 30-centimetre cube of sand has about 1.8 billion grains of sand in it. 1.8 billion just in this. And then in 930 metres by 30 metres by 30 centimetres, it's about 310,000 cubic blocks. And that's only coming 30 centimetres deep. Who's ever been to the beach and dug a hole so deep that the water starts coming in? You can go a lot deeper than 30 centimetres. But at 1.8 billion grains of sand in a 30 centimetre cube, this comes to 5 trillion, 580 billion separate precious thoughts God has just about you. And he has the same number of thoughts about me. And this isn't all the sand in the earth, this is just Kingston Beach. Half of it. The Bible says God cannot lie. He says, my thoughts about you outnumber every grain of sand. So if God can't lie, and he says that, it's true. God loves you incredibly. And he wants to be intimate with us, and we can't have a relationship of intimacy with somebody we're scared of. So how do we have a fear of God, yet not be scared of him? The fear of the Lord is not about being afraid of him, it's about being terrified of being away from him. And when a child is injured, who do they run to? The parents. If a little toddler does something wrong, gets growled at by mum or dad, what do they do? Quite often they'll hug them, because I want to be close to you, I want to make this right. And God wants to be intimate with us. He doesn't want us to be afraid of him because his anger and wrath isn't directed at us. It's directed at sin, it's directed at the enemy, the accuser who wants to take you away from his presence. So what is holiness? The word holy in Hebrew means to be clean, ceremonially or morally. Another word often used is sanctified. There's an element of purity about this cleanness. And you throw your clothes in the washing machine, take them all out, yeah, they're clean again. But this, there's an element of purity about this cleanliness. But when the Hebrew word kodesh is used, and this one is used more than all the others, it means set apart for holy use. So it's not just clean, it's not just pure, it's actually set apart for holy use. God is holy and is set apart, and we can't come into his presence with irreverence and treating him as common or ordinary. He should not, cannot, and must not be treated by you and I as common. We saw that with Nadab and Abihu and Ananias and Sapphira. They treated what was holy as common and they paid for it with their life. If we come into God's presence in worship, with a common attitude. How does God feel about our worship? I don't want to be in a place where I bring dishonour to God through how I regard him. Because I serve a holy God. I need to see him as holy. And in speaking on holiness, R.C. Sproul gives an account of Moses talking with God. He says, God, I've seen some magnificent things in my lifetime. You've shown me the burning bush. I've seen plagues by which you devastated the Egyptians. I saw you part the sea and bring a whole nation of people through on dry land. 
I've seen you provide supernatural, miraculous provisions from heaven for us hungry people. But now let me have the big one. God, please let me see your face. And God said, Moses, you know better than that. You know it's my word that no man shall see me and live. You cannot see my face, Moses. But here's what I'll do. I'll carve out a little niche in the rock over there. I'll put you in the cleft of the rock. Then I'll cover you and pass you by. I will let you see my backward parts. But my face shall not be seen. So God put his servant in the cleft of the rock. He allowed his glory to pass by. And for a split second, Moses got a backward glance of the refracted glory of God. And what happened when he came down from the mountain and the people saw this figure approaching in the distance, they became excited for the return of their leader. They rushed forward to greet Moses and suddenly they shrank back in horror and fell on their faces and began to plead with Moses saying, Moses, cover your face. They couldn't bear to look at him. Why? Because his face was shining with such radiance and intensity that it was blinding the people. And what the people were seeing was a mere reflection on a human being, uh, on a human being's face from a backward instant glance with the glory of God. One split second, he sees God's glory and it transformed his life. We serve a holy God. How awesome is our God? How holy is our God? Isaiah 6.3, the seraphim were attending a God and they crawling out to each other, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Now there's something about this text that we, we often miss and we see it throughout the Bible quite a bit. When we write something and we want to put emphasis on it, what do we do? We repeat it. It is in the Bible. You know, we might put an exclamation mark. We might uh, put it in bold. But we see several times throughout the Bible, and this is one example of Galatians 1, 8 and 9. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, then what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we've said before, so now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you other than what you've received, let him be accursed. He repeats this. Why? Because it's very, very important. Jesus often said, truly, truly, I say to you, or verily, verily, I say to you. There's emphasis on this. He's repeating the point. You need to hear this. And several times through the Bible, I found it 26 times, the phrase most holy is used. The Bible talks about this is holy, but there's times it says this is most holy. I looked at it in Hebrew and it's written, this is holy, holy. I thought it was an interesting, interesting way of wording it. The first one is singular, the second one is plural. This is one of the holy things, but it's holy, holy. It's more holy, it's most holy. And so we see the repetition used there. But the attribute of God that is raised to the third degree of repetition is the word holy. He's holy. He is holy, holy, but he's really holy, holy, holy. You don't get any more holy than holy, holy, holy. Now, the Bible doesn't say that God is mercy, 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 or love, love, love. 
or gracious, gracious, gracious. But he does say, holy, holy, holy. And Isaiah 6.4 tells us that when they cried out, holy, 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 the posts of the door moved at the voice of him who cried and the house was filled with smoke. There is such an awe in their worship. There is such a, a reverence and respect when they say holy, holy, holy and there's such an element of praise there, the room shook. We hear that elsewhere in the Bible, don't we? In Acts, when they're praying in one accord and the Holy Spirit came down. Now if angels have the good sense to be moved by the holiness of God. How can we who are made in his image be indifferent or apathetic to his majesty? And we might say, well, the angels sit there, they see this. But we have the spirit of God living inside us. We have the blood of Jesus spilled for us. Salvation has been made available to you and I. We are made in God's image. We are created in a higher position than the angels. So if the angels can see the reverence, the awe, the amazing power of God, and they say, holy, 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 how much more should we have that same view, that same heart, that same respect for God? God is holy. He is perfect. There is no sin in him. 1 Peter 1, 5 and 16, and I, I said this earlier, commands us, but now you must be holy in everything you do, just as God who chose you is holy. Look at that verse, or think about that verse for a minute. God who chose you, the God who is holy, the God who destroyed armies, the God who, who is all-powerful, he chose you. And if the God who is holy chose you, then he expects you to be holy just like he is, to be set apart, to live a life that says, God, I will honour you with everything. That includes your time, that includes your finances, that includes your gifts. God, I want to honour you with every part of my life. Let's all stand. When Jesus taught us to pray, he starts off with our Father in heaven, what? Hallowed or holy is your name. God is a holy God. Adrian, can we just sing that song, Agnes Day again, please? God has commanded us to be holy because he is holy. And Father, we want to ask your forgiveness for the times that we've seen you as common. For the times that we've not held you in high regard. For the times that we've seen you as we do in that religious picture. Just as clean, just as maybe someone special. But Lord, you want us to see you as a holy God. And like I said at the start, God said, I want you to preach on my holiness. 
and I've never looked in depth at his holiness and the more I studied, the more I looked at things, the more I thought this could be an entire series. But it really comes to a place where you say, God, I'm just going to choose to see you as more than just God, more than just someone I worship on Sundays, more than just someone who is special, but to see you as someone who is the, the example for my life. The person who's lived as holy, the person who is holy, the God who is holy, holy, holy. Lord, we ask your forgiveness for the times we've treated you as common. We want to grow in our love for you. We want to grow in our vision for you. We want to grow in how we live our lives for you. And as I was studying this message, I really felt, you know, wanting to talk on, on fasting is one thing, but this is a very appropriate thing for us to finish our fast with. We've been fasting and saying, Lord, what can I do for you? And the first thing God would say is, treat me as holy. Respect my holiness. Be holy because I am holy. Just as Adrian leads us in this song, I'm going to ask people to come forward who want to respond and say, God, I want to step into something new. I want to be the man or woman that you use for your glory, but I want to do that from a place where I am intimate with you, where I see you as holy, where I regard your holiness as something that is awesome. I heard someone say recently, we should only reserve the word awesome for God because he is awesome and there is nobody more awesome. But our God is holy, holy, holy. So as we sing this, I would just encourage you to come forward. We're going to pray together. God, we want to be a people who treat you, who live for you, who honour you as a holy, holy, holy God. Thanks, Adrian. I just want to read this verse from Isaiah 6 again. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were the mighty seraphim, each having six wings. With two wings they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and with two they flew. They were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple to its foundations. And the entire building was filled with smoke. Father, we ask that we have a revelation of your holiness that exceeds anything that we could even imagine. This verse goes on to say that as Isaiah saw this, he says, I am doomed, for I'm a sinful man. I have filthy lips, and I live among a people with filthy lips. Yet I've seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. And as we go on, we see that he had a powerful encounter with God and he received his calling to go out 
and become a prophet that changed the world. Father, we want to have an encounter with you. We want to see you as holy. Father, we choose to respond to you because you are an awesome, holy, wonderful God. Lord, we present ourselves to you again. We present ourselves before a holy God. Your word says, be holy as I am holy. Father, help us in this process. Thank you that we can come before you and freely confess our sins, knowing that you are faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Father, we present ourselves to you, an awesome, holy, wonderful, amazing, powerful, glorious, glorious God. You are holy, holy, holy. Blessed be your mighty name. Lord, we continue to pray this prayer. Here I am, Lord. Send me. on in that chapter says one of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he'd taken from the altar with a pair of tongs he touched my lips with it and said see this coal has touched your lips now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven then I heard the Lord asking whom should I send as a messenger to this people who will go for us and Isaiah after seeing this incredible encounter of God, seeing the angels worshipping him, saying holy, 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 seeing heaven shake, seeing the whole place filled with smoke, knowing that his sins have been forgiven, that the price has been paid, that he is now cleansed. He says, Lord, how could I do anything else? Here I am, send me. Lord, as we finish this fast, we commit ourselves afresh to you. Here we are, Lord, as individuals and as a church. Here we are. Send us. Use us for your glory. May your name be exalted because you are indeed holy. And we thank you in Jesus' wonderful name. Amen. Amen. We're going to finish here. We've got the fellowship lunch, so uh, we're just going to pray for that. But I want you, as you leave here, as you go out, as you, as you fellowship, stir each other what did today's message mean to you what are you going to take away from today's message how are you going to live a holy life stir each other up encourage each other lord thank you for today thank you for your word thank you for your direction for us as a church lord as we leave this place we continue to ask use us here we are send us lord as we have our time together around a meal lord we pray that you bless the food bless the fellowship Lord, bless this church as we live our lives to honour and praise you. And we thank you in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, Amen. Amen.